So last Sunday towards the end of the sermon, I shared with you a quote that I heard when just starting out in the ministry. Uh, I was in Phoenix. I remember where I was when I heard it. It was uh, at a conference out there, and it was by a, a, a more uh, a seasoned, experienced minister. But he said this. He said, you know, I've operated with this mindset that I would rather try something great for God and fail than try nothing at all and succeed. I'd rather try something great for God and fail than try nothing at all and succeed. And that's how I've felt over the past few weeks as we've been uh, doing this capital campaign that is coming to a close uh, this morning. Um, today we're taking the next step forward as a church into the future. Uh, as Abby said, to build some more rooms for our children to build a chapel, a multi-use chapel that we can use, to do some renovations to South Hall, our outreach center, uh, where we do so many important ministries. When people get asked on their deathbeds if they have any regrets in life, and there's lots of books that have been written on this subject, but there are a few things that are, are consistently said time and time again. One of the things that people will say is, I wish that I had spent more time with my family. Wish I'd been more intentional about that. Time with my children. Time with my grandchildren. They'll also say, I wish I had invested more into my friendships. I wish I hadn't have lost touch with some of my close friends over the years, that I'd been more intentional about that. Some will say, I wish I hadn't worked so hard and long, often at the expense of their family and their friendships. But there's something else that is said very commonly when that question is asked of people who are in their final weeks or days. They'll say, I wish I had had the courage to take more risks in life, to do the things that I was afraid of doing because I thought that I might fail. I wish I'd had the courage to take more risks in life and to do the things that I was afraid to do because I thought that I might fail. Well, Woodmont, that's what we've been doing this fall. We're trying to do something courageously, and you always run the risk of failing. Anything in life that you do that, that is an adventure or a risk or uh, it defies the odds, you always run the risk of failing. But failure sometimes in life is the only way that you learn. It's the only way that, that, that you grow. It's the only way that... that you gain that valuable wisdom and insight that all of us uh, long for. Now, our goal for this campaign, all of you know by now, is $8 million, done over three years, uh, three-year commitments. And um, that's different from our operating budget. We do that in the spring, as many of you know. Um, this is a special campaign to do the things that we've mentioned, the things that are listed in the bulletin this morning. And I want you to know, and some of you saw this on Friday, but coming into today, we have raised just over $6 million. Coming into uh, to, to, to Commitment Sunday, $6 million over that in commitments that are already in. And so today, we are going to do our best uh, to close uh, this gap and to move forward with this vision. And so that's awesome. Give yourselves a round of applause because that is very, very exciting. Our leaders are in, our elders are in, our board is in, our staff is in, 
and we want you to, to join us. And if you're visiting the church this morning, we're glad that you're here. Of course, we don't expect you to make a commitment. Uh, we don't turn them away. Uh, we say that, but, but we're glad that you're here and hope that you will continue to come back. You're going to get a shorter sermon this morning, so please don't clap for that uh, today. But what I'd like to do very briefly is I want to share with you what I see as being the four greatest challenges facing our culture that I think the church is called to address in the coming years as we move ahead in the 21st century. Uh, these are not necessarily new challenges, but they are pressing. Uh, they are important. If they aren't addressed, uh, they will have uh, serious consequences on our society. The first challenge that I see that I want to lift up this morning is loneliness. We now live in a culture where people are lonelier than they have ever been before. And the surprising thing is that this has happened during a time when social media has been on the rise. So what does that mean? It means that social media is not an adequate substitute for authentic, healthy relationships between people. It means that that we have to be intentional about cultivating connections and friendships with people in life. The hard thing about loneliness is that loneliness leads to other things. It leads to depression. It leads to despair. It leads to isolation. It leads to meaninglessness. It leads to a feeling that nobody cares about you or how you're doing. I mentioned Ben Sass's new book. He's a Nebraska senator. Uh, a few weeks ago, he wrote a book called Them. Why we hate each other and how to heal. And you think it's about politics, but actually it's about something much deeper than that. Loneliness. Uh, he says there's a growing consensus that the number one health crisis in America right now is not cancer. It's not obesity. It's not heart disease. But it's loneliness. Which is a different kind of heart disease if you think about it. And it's on the rise. And people will deal with their loneliness in, in, in many different ways. They might drink too much. They might take pills. They might turn to opioids, as we see across our country right now, across our state. They might turn to pornography or shopping too much. And things can get out of control in each of those areas very quickly if you're not careful. So what's the answer? The answer is community. It's friendship. It's recognizing that people care about you and what you are dealing with. You don't have to suffer in life alone. You don't have to, to, to suffer all by yourself and wonder if anybody cares about you, if anybody's thinking about you. The church is here to provide authentic community where you can be yourself. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another, if you take care of one another, if you look after one another, if you support one another. All of us long for deep connection and community, and I think that that happens in the church. The second challenge that I see facing our culture right now is polarization. Uh, anybody else here sick of the uh, political ads uh, yet? Have you seen enough of them? Have they changed how you're going to vote on Tuesday or how you voted earlier this week? I kind of miss the, uh, I kind of miss the MyPillow guy. Where's he been? <laughs> I miss hearing about the Joseph Bank sales every weekend. You know, we haven't had room for those. It doesn't matter what your political party or persuasion is, you must admit that polarization is, 
is pretty out of control in, in our culture. Tribalism is at an all-time high. Uh, people are not civil. People do not listen. We no longer look for, for common ground. We, we, we type things on a screen that we would never say to somebody's face. And I think that this is related to our loneliness. When you're lonely, you look for a group to cling to. You look for a news station that will tell you what you want to hear. And so the divisions grow deeper and deeper. A democracy has always been about a healthy exchange of ideas, but it's not a blood sport. It's not about destroying the other side or, or people who have different opinions. So it would not we say that we're a big tent church. We've got Republicans and we've got Democrats and we've got liberals and we've got conservatives and we've got shades of everything in between. And we just happen to believe at this church that even though we have our different views, we have our different politics, uh, uh, we have our different ideologies, we happen to believe that we can still get along. We can still love each other. We can still find common ground. I'm a, I'm a moderate. I have my convictions. I have my beliefs. But it pains me to see what people are doing to each other on the Internet these days. It pains me to see the divisions that are caused in, in, in families and in, and in friendships. You know, Thanksgiving dinners are way more awkward than they used to be. I mean, some of you would say well, they've always been awkward. No, now they're even more awkward than they used to be. My friend Jim Brown calls it our uncivil war, and we have to try to end it. We need to be friends with people with whom we disagree, and anger cannot rule the day. Keep your convictions in life and your beliefs, but then listen to those who, who may feel differently about different things. The third great challenge that I see facing our culture right now is the breakdown of the family. And I don't just mean in one socioeconomic class or in one race. I simply mean that family values and family support has been waning for years. Some parents don't want to do their job. They'd rather be their kid's best friend, their buddy. So many of us work so hard and we give everybody else in, in, in our life our best and then we get home and we give our, our spouse and our children and our family the crumbs that are left over. And that's not right. Family has to be a priority. And I've said many times before that, that raising kids and, and, and working and trying to earn money and trying to keep a, a marriage healthy and alive, that is stressful. It's a lot of work. It's not easy to, to juggle all of that. And I believe with all my heart that the church has a role to play in this. We have to help lay the foundation that will stay with our children the rest of their lives. And like I said last week, we have to model that behavior. We can't just tell our children what they are to do. We have to actually live it ourselves. And the church is here to help. The fourth and final challenge that I see facing our culture is selfishness. Or you could replace that with self-centeredness. And you might say, well, humans have always been selfish. Well, yes, but I think we've reached new heights. I think social media has helped get us there. In his book, The Road to Character, David Brooks says, over the past few decades, we have built a moral ecology around the big me. 
around the belief in a golden figure inside. And this has led to a rise in narcissism and self-aggrandizement. And there are two answers to this challenge. Humility and serving others. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. And at this church, we believe in serving others. It's part of our mission statement. There's so many ways to serve. We started Room in the Inn Friday night. We'll go through the winter months. National Food Project has been here and been growing for years, serving the hungry, teaching people how to grow food, how to live in community together. Walk through Bethlehem, coming up in a few weeks. We need you to be a part of it, not just to walk through it. We need you to be a part of it with a costume on. Go to Guatemala. Go to Morgan Scott. Go over to Fall Hamilton Elementary and read to the kids who need help, who need tutoring, who need uh, mentors and role models. When you stop serving other people, when you stop checking in on other people, that's when you become self-absorbed. So as a church, we're going to stay missional, and we're never going to stop serving others. It's what we do. It's who we are. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. It should not be hidden. It will not be hidden. So let your light shine so that they may see your good work and give glory to your Father in heaven. Today, Woodmont, we have a chance to keep being the salt and keep being the light in this community, in this great city. And we need your help to keep this going. I was telling uh, the ministers, I said, you know, capital campaigns add extra stress to your life, and that's true. But you feel like you're shaking your people down again for more money, and you are. But we believe in what we're doing here, and we believe that we can make a difference, and we believe that all of these challenges and others that our world faces, that our communities face, that our families face, that the church can help people work through this, that the church can be there to support people as they work through this, and at Woodmont, we're going to continue to do everything that we can to do that. There's a video that I want you to watch here for just a few minutes. Woodmont is the home that I have found where my faith has grown, where my faith is nurtured, where my where community exists to support me in that effort on my faith journey. It is a place that I feel I can give to those that have a need and I can provide the same to them. Woodmont means everything to us. We, our motto in our house is it takes a village and we've said it before, we couldn't think of a better village to raise our family. You just have they, they're able to grow spiritually, they're able to express their uh, fears and their concerns. My wife, we've gone through, through some health issues and the support that the church has offered has been tremendous. There's no way we would have been able to make it through uh, without the support of the entire congregation. Woodmont means everything to me. I, Woodmont uh, is, the, is the home base of, of my faith. It has taught me so much over the years. I've grown in my faith. I've, I've uh, grown in my desire to serve others, and I've seen such 
great work done by everybody here at Woodmont to further the kingdom of God. We've grown uh, spiritually um, with our walk with the Lord. We've um, church has been a wonderful place as far as supportive for our family and the other families here. We've got wonderful friends that we've made, lifelong friends, and um, it's just been a great place to be. I have lots of good friends here, so I love coming to youth group. But another thing is I'm able to understand more of the sermons in the 930 and the bridge service. I was able to understand it more and like actually impacts me instead of just listening to it and forgetting about it. When you get plugged into a service and uh, a small group, a community, uh, you kind of find your niche and you feel like you have all the amenities of a big church. We've got a thriving youth program and children's program, um, lots of opportunities. But at the same time, you don't feel overwhelmed like you're in this huge church with kind of no name. Um, we have built really close relationships with people here. There's nothing that's more important. Um, the ministry in America has seen better days. We are challenged by all on many fronts. The church that's honest, the church that's committed, again, it's, it's our hope for survival, um, not just for us, but for our children and our grandchildren. And these children that we've seen over the last few years, we sort of owe it to them. I, I always make the invitation. I invite everybody I can to Woodmont. And um, I just tell them that it's an amazing and welcoming community and that you will find people who just deeply value and love you because they see the Christ within you. When I come here, I am recognized, my soul is recognized, and I recognize their souls. And all of the hardship of the world and, and the sometimes insanity of the world just stripped away and it doesn't matter that we wouldn't agree on anything outside of these walls that's not a problem for me and it's not a problem for anybody that I've ever met or loved here um, we can be very very different politically um, but here we're just one and and we are embracing each other in that oneness when you're looking at a church with so many young families I feel like you're looking at a healthy church um, I think you're looking at a church that has a future, um, and we have to we have to grow and meet the needs of our community. And we don't want to turn young families away because they're intimidated by kind of the chaos of what's happening downstairs with the kids. We want to encourage um, those young families to keep coming and keep bringing their kids and make sure their kids are here every week and want to be a part of of everything that we're doing down in the children's ministry area. Um, and and that's. That's part of growing a big, healthy church, meeting the needs of those young families. When I first came to Woodmont, space was made for me. Now, that meant a lot to me, that, well, that, that welcomed me to Woodmont. Now, I want to do the same thing for all those new people that are coming to search out a church home, to visit, to join. I want to have space. I want to have them be as welcome as I was to come to Woodmont. 
It's because we took this leap and built these spaces before, it's because the original founders built this sanctuary that we have this church at all. It's time for us to provide those possibilities to give shape to the ministry uh, that is to come. Uh, this year, 2018, we've been celebrating the 75th anniversary of Woodmont. So we've been reflecting upon uh, the first 75 years of ministry, but we've also acknowledged that this is a time to look to the future. Uh, it's great to celebrate the past, but we're being called to look to the future and to ask the question, how can we build upon the foundation that has already been laid here at Woodmont uh, for the, the generations of people who've yet to come to our church? Too much that is given, much is expected. And so I think if we think of that in terms of what's expected of us as a congregation, then it, it's easy to want to be a part of the campaign. It's easy to want to continue um, God's work here on this corner and, be, and continue to be a light which has been, um, uh, for those that need, you know, that need and want to continue their um, path. the future and as a church we're going to continue to do the good work that was started 75 years ago in 1943. Um, there are pledge cards for this campaign in your bulletin. Some of you have already turned in your commitment. We're grateful for that. We want you to do it again. We won't count it twice, I promise. But if you haven't made a commitment, I hope you'll think about doing it. But more importantly than that, I hope you'll think about committing to being a part of this church for the years to come so that you can help us do what we feel called by God to do because it's important, important work. But I humbly ask that you join Megan and me and many others in being a part of supporting this vision. And when you come forward for communion, there'll be a basket where you can bring your offerings, you can bring your commitment cards, your prayer cards, and you can place them here uh, as you come forward. Thank you, Woodmont, for what you do to make the ministries possible and thank you for what you're going to do to keep this church healthy and strong in the years and in the decades ahead. Amen. <laughs>